0: Wait, that's a thing? Never heard of it. Oh, you have no idea. This is Haven Space, a safe place for fantasies. Brought to you by sex coach and researcher, Sarah Perry. Hi folks, this is Sarah Perry and welcome to another episode of my podcast, Haven Space. Today we are going to be discussing cuckolding fetishes or cucking or hot wifing. Um, cooking is the fetish of watching a claimed spouse. That means like somebody that you are in an established relationship with have sex with another person um, as opposed to a threesome where you would actually be engaged in the sexual experience and cuckolding. You would just be a passive observer. Um, this can also be called hot wifing or you could say like um, the hot wife fetish like I'm gonna fuck someone's hot wife. That's basically um, what we're talking about some people related to hot wifing, like hot wiring like a car, but The idea that you would steal a spouse is only part of the fetish. So by the end of this video you should know how cuck fetishes are exhibited, where the terms come from, why people like it, different kind of lingo, etiquette rules, and how to go about making this happen for yourself with all of the consent and respect and pleasure that our bodies are worthy of. So the origin of the term um, is the cuckoo bird, which leaves its eggs inside of a different bird's nest so that they get like tricked into essentially um, raising their babies for them. So very tricky, uh, but it's typically, it was traditionally used in like a very, very classical literature dating back to the 1250s, where we would um, use the term to talk about a, most of the time, a masculine person, a man who has raised children Um, that are not his, believing them to be his. And by his, I mean like biologically, obviously. So that's where the term comes from. But obviously nowadays, it's not so much related to raising children as it is to uh, observing sexual encounters. So um, this also carries like other relationships other fetishes, like for example, the fetish of being fooled, being tricked, the fetish of um, not having been enough for somebody that they cheated on you, but then they didn't want to leave you. So there is like this jealousy play that occurs. But cuckoldry happens in a wide spectrum, like most things in the world. The spectrum of cuck has to do with both extremes of BDSM. Um, The very submissive side is almost masochistic. Um, There is a kind of link to the podcast of last week with the cross-dressing and the whole sissy boys uh, persona because a person could enjoy being uh, humiliated, ridiculed. A lot of times like the tiny penis thing could come into play, which is when someone has a penis that is a size that is traditionally smaller than typical, then they would sometimes fetishize that and like the humiliation of being told that they have a tiny penis or being told, um, for example, that that can't please somebody, which is absolutely not true. And in fact, most people with smaller than average penises would say that they absolutely know that's not true because people can be pleased with any size. So having the play of humiliating somebody while they're in an experience of watching you already have sex with someone else um, can be really, really arousing to some people. A lot of times, simply because of its connection to your worst possible fears, um, the part of our brains that lives in arousal is the same part of our brains that is activated with humiliation, shame, um, and with disgust. So we find ways to trigger these parts altogether and they can easily become sexualized. Um, The other extreme of the spectrum of cuck would be a very alpha dominant, um, almost like sadistic side where you would essentially control everything that your partner is doing sexually. So the partner would literally choose the new sexual partner Sometimes dictate sexual positions, uh, sometimes strap you down into a specific position that you can't get out of, and then bring in partners that you had no idea were coming, and then be on the outskirts, but very much be in control of the entire situation and that is an extremely different kind of cuckoldry than a submissive sissy boy cuckoldry um but both fall into the bdsm spectrum or as we sometimes like to call it consensual power exchange spectrum um so cuck queen is a term that you could know it is um a woman wanting to be in cuckoldry um and I'm using these terms, women and men, fluidly and flexibly, and know that they can be interchangeable depending on passive or active roles, if you'd like, or just simply in the person's gender. Um, so, the a woman, again, flexibly, who cuckolds her partner is typically called a cuckoldress. So, the person having sex um, with the person outside of the relationship is typically called a cuckold dress because the term was originally a male term. Um, especially if they are in the submissive spectrum, um, the cuckold dress is like the dominant person who is then doing the humiliating and who is doing, um, like speaking, uh, derogatory things as they're having sex with this other person. In fact, in some of the research that I was doing, I was reading some narratives and some people have found that it's extremely gratifying, especially people who are in kind of positions of power at work tend to really enjoy um, to be relinquished of that need for control inside of the bedroom, which makes complete sense. Um, A bull is the person who's brought in just to have sex with the other person. Um, Like you can tell, that's already a very masculine term, but know that these terms can be used for anybody in any kind of um, gender dynamic inside of their relationships. So the fetish fantasy does not work at all if the cuckold is being humiliated against their will or if the entire situation happened kind of by chance. So this is not the same as um, a spouse walking in on their spouse, having sex with someone, not knowing about it, not being into it, and then causing all kinds of problems. That is not the term. The term cuck can sometimes be used, like I said, in, in really classical literature, to talk about someone who was forced into raising a child that wasn't theirs, but in the terms that we're using today of the fetish of cuckoldry, this does not apply. So even inside of fetishes, even inside of fetishes that involve you having extramarital or outside of the relationship sex, consent is extremely important to fetishes and it will never be able to be separated and pulled apart and have that still be considered a fetish. If it's not part of your fetish, if it's not something that's been negotiated, then it's definitely 100% a breach of boundaries. And that needs to be kind of delved apart and separated and worked on as a completely different thing than someone saying, oh, I thought you would have liked it. Um, Don't assume someone would like something because you don't know. And in fact, we can't even assume that we will like something ourselves because all kinds of emotions come up in our society and our shameful upbringing comes up and every time we try to find something that's exciting we really do get kind of pulled back into the world of um what would what am i supposed to feel is this what love should look like should i feel should i trust this do i still feel loved All of those things happen when we break the boundaries of the very traditional heteronormative relationships that we were taught to have, regardless of what culture you grew up in. These things are in media. These things are around us. The idea of a wedding is always around us. So the idea that we would share someone outside of that and still be safe and protected and loved is something that we have to struggle with if we find that we may have attraction towards jealousy fetishes, um, and cuckoldry being a type of jealousy fetish. In psychology, we talk about, in Freudian analysis, we would talk about this type of fetish as basically eroticizing the fear of infidelity, which to a lot of people, because of our upbringing, is a huge fear. Also the fear of failure. So a lot of times when it comes to the submissive masochistic side, we are bringing up somebody's worst fears and then turning them into something sexual. There are people who would be extremely afraid of losing their partner because they could not please them sexually. But I want you to know that most of the time and in my coaching practice, most people have the best interest of their partner in mind and do actively search for ways to give them as much pleasure as they could have and sometimes more pleasure than they've ever even imagined. And these people are coming to me and to get help wanting those pleasures for their partner. So, um we find ways to cope with our biggest fears through um, sexuality and sexualizing them. And that's not necessarily a difficult thing. In fact, the ability to have conversations and bonding through romance and sex and fetishism is kind of an amazing tool for our relationships and can really inspire people to find different ways that we were never told to feel better and to build bonds and connections that can transcend a lot of the things that we were told we were supposed to do. Um, psychologist David Lee wrote a book called Insatiable Wives that talks about a kind of the biological necessity to compete and beat sperm. And in fact, um, the book Sex at Dawn talks about our physical increase in sperm count when we are thinking that our spouse is cheating and women becoming more fertile when they feel that their male spouses are cheating. So our bodies are already kind of prepared for the cheating scenario. And in fact, it makes us more fertile and more likely to make our mark in the world by creating our offspring together when we do feel this. Um, So uh, Dr. David Lay basically saying that It is absolutely part of our evolution to want to make ourselves jealous watching our spouses have sex with other people that it in fact makes our um, offspring stronger to have dealt with that emotion while copulating. Uh, Roy Baumeister wrote Masochism and the Self. It talks about escaping um, self-awareness, the burden of it, inadequacy. So really similar to Freudian analysis and really... Touching on the whole imposter syndrome thing, the idea that perhaps you don't have the tools to be to know what you're talking about or to be in the positions that you're in because you are not ready and you're actually just fooling everyone. And at some point, you're going to get caught and people are going to say, like, you actually didn't know anything. Um, but that comes from a whole legacy of... How can I explain it? Imposter syndrome comes from a whole legacy of people in positions of power that really thrive off of ethos and the credibility that comes with simply existing in that position of power. But we don't realize that a lot of our credibility just comes from the perspective from which we're talking. So, for example, in my case, my credibility doesn't come from a PhD. It comes from experience and from research that I've done myself. And for some people, that may feel like not an education, but it absolutely is an education. Um, Similarly, somebody who, for example, specializes in company mergers and has had experience in company mergers because they've seen it may not feel like they belong in the big leagues, but they absolutely do. If you can make it work, then anything was worth um, your experience in your time it seems that most of the time we should give ourselves a little more credit for everything we've learned thus far and it tends to be a lot more than we think it is and we always have value to contribute to society if what we have to contribute is not something that is publicly said a lot of people can learn from us and you don't have to feel like an imposter with masochism in the self um, specifically we talk about the escaping that feeling that you have to show up and you have to bring results by letting somebody else take care of your spouse and making them happy and letting your spouse be pleasured by the existence of someone else and how taking a back seat can be incredibly, incredibly freeing. Um, there's also interest in shattering the expectation of masculinity and possessiveness in our society that is so toxically possessive and how people absolutely need to both show up and be present and be jealous of their spouse be envious um, of people around them who are spending time with them that the only way that we can keep our partners is by making sure they never have exposure to anybody else Um, At least not in a way that would show them that we are replaceable. So acknowledge that cuckoldry is kind of edgy, it's fetishized, but as well it is an instrument in unlearning years of toxic masculinity and decades and centuries of heteronormativity that is in fact pretty damaging to our society. So according to a survey by Justin Lee Miller, 58% of men and around a third of women have thought about cuckolding, have at least fantasized about seeing their partner with someone else. And a lot of times people like the gameplay, even though they're not engaging in the specific action. A lot of people, if you get on Reddit and you read some of the narratives about it, do in fact role play this in bed. They have conversations about it and very likely to reach orgasm while feeling the jealousy that they're kind of battling against. So why do people like it? First of all, like I've mentioned, the release of expectation, the idea that you have to please somebody all the time. Jealousy play is always fun edging in that emotion and how the emotion of disgust and jealousy and fear kind of plays into raising your arousal levels. Control over partners could sometimes be part of it, even though um, even if you're not in a dominant role, you are in charge of the situation by allowing it to occur. So your consent itself is an act of control over your partner. Um, also, the idea of being dominated dominated or emasculated can become really sexy to people who are not typically in that situation, which is most of us. We, most of us don't live in a place where we're constantly being ridiculed or where we get to make decisions for other people's bodies all the time. Um, There's also guilt play, the idea that you should feel bad that um, somebody else is stepping in to fulfill the role you're supposed to fulfill. And that guilt can also be extremely sexy. Um, As far as just the optics you get a better view of sex when you're not having it. So for a lot of people who are very visual, then watching their partner have sex with someone provides a very unique angle, literal angle and where you're looking from so that you can then make mental pictures for later. And sometimes even actual videos and pictures can be much easier to take when you're not the person having sex. Uh, One Quora writer says that being her being yours forever isn't about control, and it's actually about freedom, which I thought was super beautiful. The idea that um, the way that we show love is actually through sharing it and not through hoarding it. Um, Another Cora writer talked about the fact that it's comparable to a scary movie where the suspense builds inside of you. You can feel it. You know it's coming, but really... um, you know it's fake and it's on a screen and that you're not in danger. And I think there's a similarity between watching your partner have sex and the um, kind of ridiculing of the idea of being cheated on and unsafe and turning it into something, this is actually really safe. It's just in front of me. They're not cheating. I'm here. Um, So that comparison can also be a reason that people love it. Where can you find it? So all kinds of porn on cuckoldry. You look up the term cuckold. You can also look up the term cuck or hot wifing, like I mentioned earlier. FetLife Personals, you can get on FetLife and look for people. You can get on FetLife Personals, which is a side of FetLife, and try to find people specifically that are looking for stuff like this. Make sure, if that's what you're doing, that you are being very clear about the type and the spectrum of cuckoldry that you enjoy if you'd like to be more dominant or more submissive because you don't want someone to show up who is very um, ready to say some mean, humiliating things to you thinking that you're totally into it and it turns out that you are not and in fact it is, does not feel good to you and you feel that that is not a boundary that you want to cross. Make sure that that's negotiated ahead of time. Adult friend finder has very eager people able and willing to, um, become bulls or a lot of people that want to be cuckolded, uh, Reddit has whole threads. I checked out cuckoldsamerica.us was not great, but there were some options there and it seems to be very specific, specifically targeting, uh, people engaging in cuckold situations Um, how to prepare, definitely get tested, have the conversation, establish boundaries, Uh, come play tends to be really typical because of the whole breeding fetish, like thinking that someone could come get your partner pregnant or that, you know, something along those lines that your partner could get someone else pregnant. Um, that could be part of the play. So make sure you've established boundaries, fluid bonding, get ready for fluid bonding. Even if you don't think that's something you want to do, get tested anyways, um, Definitely know who's playing what role and at which point and then have some type of um, negotiation about which boundaries are flexible and which boundaries are negotiable and which boundaries are hard and will not change during the situation. I tend to feel like there are very few boundaries that are hard boundaries, but especially people who are new to fetishes and to play may feel safer establishing hard boundaries at the beginning, and then maybe next time if it goes well, then they could loosen up some of those boundaries. Um, Also make sure to be safe by meeting in places that are not places where people can come find you later. So if you're just meeting somebody off the internet, get a hotel room instead of being at your home address or meet at a sex club where there can be people around you. Most sex clubs that are on premise do in fact have private rooms and do have security and you could ask for security to either check on you every once in a while or even just keep an ear out for any kind of rough play. Um, I would say that in situations where people are bulls, it tends to be a very specific, very respectful community because fetishism thrives on consent. So, make sure you have your consent negotiations in place, your traffic light systems in place, where there's a word that means don't stop, but let's rearrange what this looks like for me, or I need a moment. And sometimes that can't be a traffic light system because you want it to be something private between the couple. But make sure you have established a word that doesn't necessarily mean stop when you are saying, when you're working on safe word scenarios. Um, know that we are less likely to use a safe word simply because it means to ultimately stop, cease and desist. And most of the time we don't want to cease and desist, we want to renegotiate. Um, so to recap, you learned where cuckold fetishes are exhibited, you learned where they came from, um, how they were used in the past, how these terms are used in the past, maybe learned a new word or two. Um, you heard about some of the studies and some of the books that talk a little bit about why we thrive on cuckolding, why we like it, um, how it helps kind of fight back toxic masculinity and toxic heteronormativity. We, we talked a little bit about where you can find it, the things you should do, and how to make it happen for yourself and others in ways that are consensual and really, really, really good for your heart. So thanks for checking me out and hopefully I will see you next time. This has been another podcast of Haven Space. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Haven Space by Sarah and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Haven Space by Sarah. If you enjoyed this talk, consider becoming a patron and helping fund more talks like this in the future.